0: Welcome to All Over the Map, where we cover our favorite sports teams, sports media, and the world of broadcasting. Your host. Good afternoon. Welcome in to the Tuesday show of All Over the Map. For it's afternoon on the time of this recording, it is Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. This is the second Tuesday show in a row that we've done. I am your host, Ali Musa. Joining us today for the Tuesday show is Glenn Wade. Glenn is the president of. Ontario Blind Sports Association. And uh, Glenn, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Allie. I really appreciate uh, you having me. And i uh, got to say congratulations on this platform you've established and uh, what you've got going here. It's, it's a great platform for you sharing the message, for people being able to come on here and share their message, have the discussions their point of views and then for those who uh choose to just listen and gain from all of that going on so uh it's awesome what you're building here and I uh, see it continuing to build and uh, in a very positive direction i hope i can uh, not slow you down too much here and keep things going in that positive direction it's great to be part of the momentum of uh, second tuesday in a row appreciate Oops. you having me on for that reason too
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, you'll, you'll never slow me down. You'll never slow my momentum down.
1: Very good. I think on, onward we go together.
0: Absolutely. Now start by telling, tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, please.
1: My upbringing. So I was born in Newfoundland, uh, proud Newfie as uh, the term goes, lived there till I was seven. I lost my sight at an early age, uh, retinoblastoma, which is cancer of the eye. So I started losing my vision one eye when I was two years old. And uh, that kind of uh, caused or uh, started a number of trips to Toronto for treatments and such uh, for about four or five years there. And once I lost the sight in the second eye, so I went totally blind at the age of six, it was determined that it was probably going to be best for me and the family to move away from Newfoundland to Ontario, where we had a lot of friends and family uh, already located. So it was going to be relatively comfortable to make that transition. So uh, my family, to you know, to their credit, and uh, could never thank them enough, made the move again, mostly for me, where I attended uh, W Ross McDonald School for the Blind. Uh, right from grade 1 to grade 12. and that's where I mean those are truly the formidable years I get especially early on. And uh, the amazing facility W. Ross is, that's where I got so much of my learning as a blind person early on and more importantly my introduction to blind sports, which I for anybody that's ever heard me speak before or uh, you know had conversations with, i'm I'm constantly prattling on about the cross uh contamination, if you will of sports to the rest of life that there's so much you learn in sport that you uh, you cultivate in sport that you can uh, bring over to the rest of your life that whether it be professional or uh, family uh, friendships that that really it just it's sport is the cultivation ground that uh, provides all that so it was through that, as I said, the amazing facility of W. Ross that provided uh, the background or the framework for that. Now, I talk about the amazing facility that it still is, but even more important is the people, are the people at W. Ross. And they were back then and they still are today. That um, They just, a lot of long-term people there that, that, would, that's, that is their focus of uh, how to most practically practically, and successfully help people integrate because uh, students come to that school at various stages of, you know, grade one, right? To sometimes it's only the last year of their education, grade 12, what have you, various times and ways of losing their sight, what have you, and maybe different levels of trauma in some cases ever, but it's just they, they seem to have that comforting ability to welcome everybody in and be able to help people adjust at their own level. And uh, I don't know how they keep replenishing the stock, as it were, from a staff perspective. But you know, as one retires uh, from a lengthy and positive career, they seem to be able to find equals to replace. So kudos to them for keeping that going. Uh, so it was through that that really got my the bulk of my sport exposure and i think my drive to achieve in life and i I think that's what's carried me a a long ways you know after that and uh i think we 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 can get on to you know that that's the the upbringing here the the introductory side of things and i think uh, we'll leave as our discussion unfolds more and we'll leave the further part of life uh To unfold through that discussion.
0: Actually, I'm going to just have you keep going there. Just uh, keep going if there's a thought. (laughs) Sure, if if you're. you're No, no, keep going. Just keep going. This is fun. Keep going.
1: (laughs) Very good. So after I left uh, Brantford, uh, the the school, I I located for a few years in Brantford, uh, take up residency. Because I think Ayo was a comfortable uh, town. Now my family was close by in uh, Cambridge, so just down the road. So I was still be able to I was still able to maintain that family connection and uh, be back and forth when required. But I was still able to live independently and uh, be supported by family a half hour down the road. So that was really good. Where I was able to establish connections, kind of spread my wings a little bit. And I through that time I made. Uh, connections with an entrepreneur in the community who was looking to get some business ideas off the ground. And, uh, I actually met him through the CNIB. I worked at the CNIB workshop in Brantford at the time. This would have been in 1985. So, uh, again, talking about organizations that are supportive and important. There's another one, this Canadian national Institute for the blind that, uh, gave me a a leg up, if you will, or an opportunity to learn, help learn who I was, what I was good at, what I enjoyed or what have you, and to make those connections of people. You know, it's the people connections we make through life that allow us opportunities. I always say to people, we're all presented with opportunities on a daily basis. It's what we avail ourselves of that determines kind of what direction we go or what exactly we get out of things. You know, you can't, possibly take advantage of every, uh, everything that comes your way, but uh, those opportunities that interest you or allow you to grow or pique your interest in, in some way, if you're able to jump on those, great. And I think that's what the CNIB gave me in that case. So through that, I was able to uh, do some work in uh, factory settings. I worked at a couple of different factories, assembly line work, machine operation, doing some press work in that and uh, again people if you're willing to challenge yourself and let others know what you what you're up to what you want to achieve people are pretty usually pretty uh, ready willing and able to work with you and uh, you know help support those dreams or aspirations so I was lucky that people around me were uh, helped me take those strides and uh, learn from those experiences, and then from that, it kind of tells you how things dovetail in life. Or, you know, again, sport was a good breeding ground. We can come back to that, but through that, that dovetailed into an opportunity of uh, taking some of the product we were producing on that assembly line work, turning around to sell it at a retail level. So, uh, with this gentleman, I was able to uh, open a booth at a flea market for a year or so to establish a bit of a retail base. Then we were able to move to a retail setting for, uh, which we a storefront we had open for three years. And, uh, that, that was a great opportunity of learning. Again, all the people I met through that was amazing, but I was going to school. I went back to school at that point, Conestoga for uh, management studies here in Kitchener and that gave me that storefront that retail operation gave me the ability to put into practice what i was learning in school and see some of the practical applications so again another opportunity i was able to avail myself of and you know people around me to continue to support that by the way lynn hartrick is gentleman's name i like to uh, kind of give people credit where credit is due and that so um You you never know, Lynn might be uh, listening to this podcast uh, at some point. And uh, big thank you uh, to Lynn and family for uh, what that their their piece in that development as well, huge as it was. And uh, from there, I I realized that okay, I've learned not as much as I could per se, but after three years business was going to require a fairly significant cash infusion that I really didn't have as a starving student. And, uh, uh, still on assistance at the time, the business wasn't making enough to be totally supporting myself and my wife at the time. So, uh, we decided to let it go and then start branching out in some other directions, which then that turned to some call center work as far as, uh, marketing, uh, Telemarketing and uh, that kind of thing, and that that can be a lonely job or a challenging job for anybody that's done it. I don't have to uh, convince them too much, but uh, you know, you you start to it gives you time to hone some skills, especially as a blind person using a computer, listening to the computer while communicating uh, with the person on the other end. So through that experience. I was able to get a job at Rogers Communications a few years later. And again, that likely wouldn't have happened without that cultivation or development opportunity of the telemarketing. So, uh, you know, everything seems to dovetail. We often say things happen for a reason, and uh, sometimes those reasons aren't apparently clear or seem kind of not not in the direction we want at the time but uh ultimately quite often it does end up getting you where if you're persistent and if you really know what you want and you keep at it and you'll get there more often than not and you know that's where rogers 22 year career at rogers again provided so many more opportunities um That's where, that's about the time where I stopped competing really competitively in sport. I've always maintained uh, an aspect of recreational, if you will, and competition at my kind of semi retired level, I guess, but not on the high level of, say, Paralympics or national level. So at that point, I was able to. Get in, focus more on other aspects of life, growing uh, more relationships and that kind of thing. So, you know, Rogers provided me that opportunity to learn more about myself. Uh, From a stability perspective, it was a job that allowed me to then build, uh, you know, buy a home eventually and be able to start traveling and these aspects of life that we all strive for. And, uh, you know, thank you to Rogers for, given me that opportunity. It comes back to that word again of opportunity of uh, that I, I was able to latch on to and make the most of for me. And uh, retired in August of 2020, just after the pandemic started. And uh, I looked at retirement. To, you know, I wasn't going to retire to settle down and put my feet up. It was going to be another onward to the next aspect of life, the next adventure, the next what can I do to uh, both challenge myself and help others? That's kind of uh, what I try to focus on on a daily basis is how can I continue to keep myself challenged and fulfilled, provide growth, but then also help make a positive difference in other people's lives. That, uh, that, that That's a fuel that I think can really help keep us going if we uh, challenge ourselves with that on a regular basis. So that's kind of what like got me where I am today from taking uh, advantage of opportunities with a lot of little little gaps and uh, highlights along the way. But that's the, the framework of how we got here. And now at the last of it there from a sport, I'll give you the quick overview of uh, I, I competed in sports where I learned a lot. From about the age of, uh, started that wrestling, I guess, at Brantford W. Ross McDonald School, and then I started learning goalball in the early uh, years. Focused primarily on goalball after that. From a real competitive, I mean, I did wrestle at high school level and ran cross country, but uh, and we played, you know, uh, at the school we had leagues and hockey and football and baseball. So, again, a very wide mix of sport, which was great. But goalball is where I really focused on what I felt I had the best chance of being competitive and uh, challenging myself. So, that's where after W, well, I started competing at national level while I was still in my teens and at the school. But afterwards, I was still able to avail myself to, the Ontario team was essentially run out of the school And uh, coaches were staff from the school. So, again, those amazing staff members that continue to give of their time and efforts outside of what their job was. So that allowed me to uh, get to the heights of actually two Paralympic opportunities, 1984 and 1992, managed to represent. I was blessed enough to represent Canada and, uh, again, learned so much about myself and what sport can deliver and how you can get to those. I mean, that, that's not just a straight line rocket to the top, as it were. You know, there are bumps along the way and there are things you need to learn and uh, challenges you need to face and defeat in some ways. And uh, you know, sport allowed me to do that. You're playing with team members. You've got to learn how to interact with everybody to make the whole endeavor successful. You've got to figure out what your strengths and skills bring to the table. Through sport, that gives you the opportunity to do that. And with practicing, if you're practicing a couple of times a week and then competing maybe once a month type thing, you get to test. It's a great testing ground because you get to put it into practice. You can have an idea. You think you'd like to do it this way. But until sometimes things are tested, you never know if it will be successful. So sports in that kind of an environment gives you the opportunity to practice it, hone the skills a little better, and then put it to the test. And if it doesn't work, well, there's always do-overs. That's the other thing about sports. I like to say there are do-overs. So you get to go back to the drawing board and change it and then roll out something new, a new approach, what have you, and see if that works. So, you know, it's, gives it again, opportunities, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And as long as you don't get discouraged, and we're all going to get discouraged, whatever we approach in life will be those discouragements. But to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and say, okay, well, that didn't work. But to know, to learn about yourself and to realize that, yeah, you're going to get knocked down and you're going to get, you're going to trip, but. Get up and do it again. That's the only way to really find success or fulfillment. And uh, sport allows you to do that. So you know through that journey of uh, competing at pretty high level, I was able to uh, to learn all that about myself. And again, that that allowed me then I'm confident that that was a big part of my success at Rogers, where you know I started on the frontline position, taking call, customer calls. And I was able to move to a supportive role in training people and then into a team manager role and then a manager of quality control behind the scenes afterwards. So, again, it was all of this dovetailing, learning and advancing along the way that uh, brought that all to culmination. Have I put you to
0: sleep yet? No, 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 no. This (laughs) is fun. (laughs) No, so it's kind of interesting because um, before we get into like what global is, many people have, uh, many listeners, some listeners have asked me um, people who have lost their, especially for those that have lost their vision later in life, you know, that are in their sixties now and whatever, they've asked what, me what the experience what was the experience at Ross now, because your experience was a little bit different from, from, from mine. I want to start, I'm going to ask, I want to uh, ask you, what were some of the things that you learned from there uh, while your time there?
1: I think what I learned was um, that my journey in the grand scheme of things was no different than the journey of anyone else going through that age range, that level of school, and that growth in life uh, and what I mean there. I, so I lost my sight at six. I didn't I'm not even sure why there was, my my parents never coddled me, my parents. Those around me supporting me allowed me to adjust as I needed to. Uh, they never tried to do everything for me. But I figure I, growing up to that point, I did it as a fully sighted person or a partial at some point. But as a sighted person, I lost my sight suddenly because it was an operation to remove the, the last eye. It caused the last the sight to go, so it was you know a flip flip of a switch that way. But going to school, then I I started learning as a blind person. So I had the blessing and fortunate experience of knowing what having sight was. I remember seeing shadows. I remember watching TV. I remember wa- seeing rainbows. You know these kind of things. Playing games where we would try to get our shadows to jump over the the shadow of the hydro wire on the ground. All these things were very visual, very, you know, out in the, the neighborhood with my sisters and friends running around that. But then to learn how, knowing what I could do, I guess, at that point as a sighted person, I became, I've always enjoyed challenges. So I guess the challenge then to me was to do the same or to be as active as a blind person. So, I didn't sit around and kind of wonder, how am I going to do it? I figured I would just learn it as I went. And that's that's the approach I think I've always maintained in life, is figure it out as I go. And that's, that's one of my kind of taglines, if you will. Uh, I think I've got it on my email, where basically it's, let's just figure it out. Sometimes, or quite often, the answer is not readily available. But if you sit and wait for it, or get paralyzed, the old paralysis by analysis, by trying to find the answer before you act, sometimes that can really hinder you or slow you down. So I think I just got out there and tried to figure it out. And uh, that's what W. Ross gave me as the framework, the platform to do that. And I think what made it more successful was A, the staff that, as I had already alluded to, Special people that they are. B, the fact that I was doing it in tandem with other blind people going through the same thing. So, in most cases, we didn't realize we were helping each other, learning from each other, but reality is that's what was going on. Um, Very organically, it was that's what was happening, unfolding. That, you know, we saw, I saw someone else do something a certain way. So uh, either I learned that it doesn't work or I learned that it did work. And sometimes you'd see someone do something that maybe didn't work and you didn't automatically, if it's something you still wanted to do, then you tried it anyway. So you just being in that environment allowed that growth and that uh, advancement. And, you know, I, I believe that's how the average person with sight, grade one would advance through school as well you know so much takes place learning on the playground of watching others and uh growing up and you know learning from each other so you know i I think that that's where i realized that i could challenge myself with people against people if you will and it's not all about competition but you know we do grow from competing and uh I was able to do that against people who were at my level or, you know, experiencing the same level of uh, disability, what have you. So, you know, I think that's, I've always said that if I had three wishes, and this has been all through life, whether it was eight, 10, 12 years old, or today, if I had three wishes tomorrow, uh, getting my sight back wouldn't be one of them because it's made me who I am. Um, It's provided me opportunities that I wouldn't have have, wouldn't have had. I'm confident that you know there's been things afforded to me that, uh, from a that I've been able to challenge myself with, that uh, again has established me as an individual human being, and uh, I I'm grateful for that. So it's I guess not shying away from it, embracing it, and uh, realizing that it is what it is, and uh, let's just get on with it. Make. Make the most of it. The old uh, life handy lemons; make lemonade. You know, there's. I, I'm big on all these uh, old sayings, what have you, too, because they're old sayings for a reason. They they have some validity. They have some uh, hold some water to a degree. So uh, I, I kind of re- rely on them to help convey messages from time to time. Well,
0: fine. How about um, your- go ahead.
1: How about yourself? Did you? What was your experience like at WS?
0: Well, I I I think for me, um certainly it was a little bit different. I mean, my ex see the thing was is I was a day student my whole life, my whole time there, right? Yes. And I think that was the biggest sort of. Um, difference. But I think looking back, but I feel that looking back at all of it, um, I would have, and would, if I were to go back and do it all over again, res, um, certainly res life is something that I would um, encourage anybody to do.
1: Yes, I would totally, I would say 80% of the benefit I've got from WROS not to disparage or anything against the teachers as teachers again today you know uh class life was great yeah. as well but 80 percent of the learning and growth took place in the residence life for sure so uh yeah i would concur that uh i by missing out on that there's a chunk that you uh you wouldn't have had uh in in parallel to my experience
0: See, and a lot of these things, too, and what happens, too, is when you're that age, oftentimes, see, you don't know what, you see, you don't know what you know now, you know, like, you know, in, in, in you know, and, and, and all sort of, on, like, I, I'm very, very happy and thankful for where I'm at now, you know, with all the help and support I've gotten through, I'm, I'm so, you know, and what I've learned I'm just very, very, very happy about all of that, but I feel what, um, what anybody could be missing, and I think most people now, um, either they uh, take stay in res, or they just stay in their main, their uh, home school.
1: Yes, yes, because the the com the commute uh, daily commute that. If you don't live right in Brantford, that uh, most students from, say, this area now that they would face, you know, uh, is significant. It like, takes a lot of time. We have so much screen time just to keep up with things. We probably have more than the average person for screen time uh, because technology, we rely on it so much. So the fact that you are also taking that time at either end of your day to commute that to... Uh, definitely eats into your ability to uh, participate in things like sports and that too, that again, the the organized sports at the school, you don't have that same opportunity. You can get out in your neighborhood and play with your siblings or your friends in the neighborhood, whatever, but you're never going to be able to. No, you're not going to be able to compete and challenge yourself. They'll, they can let you shoot the puck or kick the ball or what have you, but you, they're just, out of the goodness of their heart and their, the fact you're their friend or their brother or what have you, that, yeah, they're including you, but you're never going to be able to actually know your growth, even of how you're pro- progressing alongside people, again, of your abilities or disabilities, what have you. And so it's, I think it's hugely important that way.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, like there were some, um, you know, and of course, Um, There were, um, you know, of course, some there were some students that that were that um, um, that lived in like at the time I knew a couple um, that, you know, lived in Brantford, but would often were day students but would come back to take in some evening stuff. Um, Yeah, I I believe there were some recently, too. I think you knew a couple recently that did it that were there.
1: Yes. Yes, and uh, you know, again, kudos to the school for allowing those who have the interest or uh, would probably benefit most from it to the opportunity to be able to kind of uh, break the rules, if you will, or adjust the rules uh, more appropriately to allow that to happen. But yeah, it's you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, do you know uh, what? Another sp- one sp- of those. Oh,
0: another cliche. These are all. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we like, do you so, know? Yeah. What yeah like do you know what this what the um like what like what adaptation what sort of um uh, flexibility they made or was it kudos to Majakumo for it
1: uh I think it was uh it's all of the above I mean rarely do any of these things these decisions happen in uh, singular fashion what have you it's uh people finding a way together to make it work. So uh, I think each situation probably has its own uh, way of developing and reasons for uh, being allowed or uh, put together. So, yeah, I think it's it very much becomes – and that's why it's important that if you want to go in that direction, that you pursue it because, uh, you know, again, back to that will and way that if, you know, you – you, you shouldn't have to subscribe or fill in check certain boxes it's your own unique situation how can it benefit and you know make your case basically and I think that's what the school allows for that flexibility for someone to make their case and if if it makes sense and can be done then uh, you know they have the space there's there's a lot that would go into it but I think that's how it happens I think though
0: that Obviously, the school is – obviously, they're designed for students. It's designed for students, obviously. Yes. But do you th- – I mean, if they had the resources and you were able to do – and let's say you were in charge of it and you were doing – because this idea has crossed my mind before. Right. That, um Would you – like say for 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 those that say that are my age 34 or whatever or maybe younger even that did not take advantage or that realized later that these are things that they should have taken advantage of during their time at ross now of course it's always kind of like hindsight is always there but Presuming that they had all the necessary resources, staffing, et cetera, would you if, um, allow the opportunity, or would you create programs, say, for young adults that would like to take advantage or that would like to take advantage of this sort of, of things that they offer to students?
1: For sure, for sure. I think it could be a uh, definite resource uh, center, if you will, because again, the facilities are there. And uh, yeah, you could develop programs for various stages, if you will, of life. Like you said, young adults maybe is the first one out, you know, that once they graduated beyond school, you know, then you've got maybe that middle ground of people that want to. They've learned a fair amount from their experience, say, through their 20s, what have you. Now they want to start putting that into practice. And that's kind of what I, the way I looked at my chunks of life, if you will, that I tried to absorb as much as I could. And we continue on a daily basis to absorb stuff, but absorb what I could in my 20s, to start putting into play in my 30s and 40s and perfected or hone it more in my 50s and as I move on into the 60s. Uh, that's that's the goal still, but yeah, I think there's opportunity definitely to create that, and there are some opportunities out there to uh, to help with that. Right now, uh, the first one that comes to mind would be CNIB uh, Lake Joe Summer Camp, where oh, it's an yeah. opportunity yep. to socially get together with people and learn and uh, share and what have you and just enjoy the facility and nature that's there. That's uh, uh, Perry Sound at Tier just up in that neck of the woods on Lake Joseph. Um, but, uh, you know, and another one that maybe, as you said that and framed that question, it brought to mind as a volunteer, as a board member with Ontario Blind Sports, we hold a summer camp at W. Ross every uh, July, early July we cater to student to basically about 10 years old to 20 years old those uh, pre-teens to late teens maybe there's an opportunity thank you ali for <laughs> planting the the bug the seed of uh, putting together a secondary camp for folks a little more advanced in age and provide again opportunity that Gives them that sport, that residence life, if you will, know, what they would have gotten from residence life and maybe didn't, and uh, could expose them to that. And uh, there might be something to that. That, you know, it's, I think, it comes back to the people and what the people are able to share. Um, I think volunteers, one thing that often comes to mind about you look at what I've learned over the years and how, who I've learned from, what have you. Volunteers have been a key part of that. And that goes again, tied in so many of our volunteers at W Ross. So or so many of our staff at W Ross volunteer outside the school, whether it be for Ontario blind sports or other organizations that allows that further growth again. So it's, you know, I think that the people are there, the facility is there. It's just a matter of putting that uh, that program, putting the meat and potatoes of the program together. And uh, I think build it and they will come, both the volunteer staff base and the uh, students or clients or whatever uh, you would reference the participants as. Uh, I think it could really, uh, you might be onto something.
0: Yeah, well, keep an eye out for that. And um, and I think, too, that John Howe was a big part of the uh, sports programming at Ross.
1: Huge. Not just uh, W. Ross. I mean, he's definitely the, the backbone of uh, everything while I was there, you know, right from uh, 72 to 84 and beyond. But, you know, those are my years. But Ontario Blind Sports. He's really one of the four founding fathers. And without what he cultivated at W. Ross as far as experience for uh, allowing students to experience sports, learn sports, and excel in sports, there wouldn't be an Ontario Blind Sports Association. And then, again, as I spoke to at the volunteer hours outside of the school, he was a perfect example of one of those that just gave and gave and gave. Um, and still gives today in a legacy kind of way. That is he still around he, today? He is. He is, and thrive, he's doing well, and, you know, still helps drive us at OBSA from a, we know what OBSA represents, what he represents, so it's a standard, I guess, that he has set, and we want to make sure we can maintain as close to that standard as possible, and, you know, keep honest to his vision and, uh, you know, himself and probably Shirley Shelby were two of the primary founders, but, you know, Shirley, unfortunately has passed a couple of years back there, but Mr. Howe, John Howe is, uh, still very much, uh, with us and very much a part of, uh, the vision and what OBS is, OBSA is today. Um, so it's, I, I don't think he could ever measure what he has given over the years, both just in his time and effort, uh, even financially. I mean he always made sure that student uh, athletes had he, he he removed as many barriers as possible. so if it was a piece of equipment that a, a student needed to take the next step in uh, competing to you know uh, take the next uh, jump to the next level and have you he did whatever he could to either find equipment or maybe all out purchase it or find uh, ways of fundraising what have you but it was his mantra to make sure that nobody got left behind and that uh, everybody got equal opportunity and you know through that that's OBSA is trying to live up to that today still and uh we have some initiatives coming up to be announced very soon that will really speak to that and uh, show that we're we're still thinking in that direction today um, so it's yeah the, the John howe I'm glad you brought up his name because it uh, I, I would not have I speak to the translation of what I learned in sports to the rest of life and I think I could probably draw a parallel or draw a line that says if I didn't learn X, Y, and Z in sport from Mr. Howe, it's quite unlikely I would have, or quite likely I wouldn't have achieved as much as I have in life and continue to. So, you know, huge thanks there.
0: Yeah. I believe at one point his daughter was working at the school uh, as a phys ed teacher. I don't know if she's still there, but.
1: She is. She does work there. not yes, How. Yes, yeah, and I believe his son is working there as well. So I, I could to you I'm not confident in that, but I'm pretty sure that is the case and uh, so again, it's that commitment to the organization that you know not only was it him but family, you know so and you know and his wife Sue, Susan howe is just as committed over the years and in a lot of ways, I mean, supporting Mr. Howe as part of it, but she was in there too. She has been in again today as someone that I can turn to for advice or, you know, uh, support in events and that, you know, showing up or uh, just knowing that their, their energy is out there and that uh, they're still involved.
0: See, I think that's great though, because some people who there have been some people that, just moved on and i don't think that either retired or that really didn't have any involvement with the school and there's one name that comes to mind and maybe she still does i don't know is Jean taylor
1: um do you remember gene yes i did see her it was a while ago uh, last time was at a reunion about i would say six seven years ago probably so Uh, It was a brief conversation of just, hey, you know, good to see you and that kind of thing. So I never did have her as a teacher through my uh, 12 years there. So uh, it was more of seeing her from a distance, if you will, of, you know, the students she was helping and that. And uh, certainly a big anybody that I saw that had her as a teacher certainly raves about her and uh, did get a lot from her. So, uh, yeah. I, I certainly
0: yeah. did. Now, one thing, oh. too, is uh, what's, what's funny, what's interesting, though, is that I was one of her last students before she retired in that 2000.
1: Oh, so it's your fault. was <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, either mine or some other people in that class.
1: <laughs> okay. So you, you can't take total credit.
0: no. No. So, <laughs> no.
1: It, it's and, great to hear that you had you have, you were a beneficiary of uh, her uh, commitment and expertise as well.
0: You know what, and that was kind. Of, you know what, and honestly, that was one of the best years I felt that I had because of the fact that, um, you know. She really also spoke, she raised, she always raved about me as a student too. She always like, you know, she, she always like, um, you know, like when she got like when, when certain, like sometimes when certain students would, you know, cause a lot of mischief and not listen, she would often pull me to the side and go, you know what, you know, I apologize for, for this stuff, but you know, I, I know, you know, but I, you know, you're, you know, that, you know, I just want you to know that you're doing the best job you're able to do and, and you're doing a great job, but that's all the only way. Sometimes I'm able to get through to some of them and this and that, and, you know, and I think that's some that's something, I think that said a lot too.
1: For sure. It's, we all need that kind of uh, confirmation, affirmation, if you will, at times and uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, encouragement and, you know, sometime it's kudos to her for being able to share that message and give you that level of comfort or assurance. So it's, again, it speaks to that, as I've already made mention of the level of uh, commitment of the staff and their expertise and abilities and that. So uh, great to hear that, you know, you kind of had similar uh, experiences there.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I feel so. And you know, and I'm very excited. You know what, I I honestly have no regrets of that, right? I have no regrets of what I learned there as a, as a student or anything else. I have no regrets. I, I think everybody did their best. Um, you know, and I, and I do I feel I've learned a lot? Do I feel I've learned a lot more? Now? Yes, I think I, I feel I have. And transitioned what my enthusiasms and passions are and were and into something, uh, something meaningful.
1: Well, very meaningful, and uh, yeah, again, transition—that's actually a good a good segue. So you've transitioned and building something that's again meaningful to you, and I'm confident uh, building in a strong way is meaningful to others as they listen and learn and share. Um, but uh, the transition I was speaking of too is about off the top. You would uh, kind of market it, if you will, about the gold ball aspect of things, and that I thought uh, now be a good time to share a little more about gold ball, OBSA as it pertains to goalball ball, and uh, the fact that well, OBSA is not all gold ball, but a good chunk.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's talk about uh, this. Yeah, start by telling us about what is gold ball, please.
1: Sure. Gold ball is a sport that, and this is uniquely developed for the blind, was developed after the war, after World War II, as a rehab opportunity, really, uh, for war vets who are blinded. And so, therefore, it's a game, a sport that has no adaptations to make it workable for the blind. It's, it was developed solely for the blind, so it's unique in that way. You know, pretty much any other sport you can think of, we, you know, we can participate in hockey and soccer, basketball, baseball, football, whatever, but you have some adaptations that make it uh, feasible. Goal ball is played on a court, same size as a volleyball course, 30 feet wide by 60 feet long, or I guess nine meters by 18 meters. Even, even though I learned the metric system in grade, I'm gonna say six, four or six. I remember it was Mrs. Young's class, but. Um, it, uh, the, so the, the court's 30 feet by 60 feet. You use a ball with bells in it, about the size of a basketball. You throw the ball underhand. Now, the team consists of three players on the court at a time, and the net is the full width of the court with a four-foot crossbar. You stay at your own end. The player's box, if you will, is uh, the full width of the court, 10 meters across, and uh, uh, 10 feet, so three meters from front to back. So the players have to stay. It's I've played the sport for almost 50 years now and because it becomes just so automatic. You get out there and you just do your thing. You, it's rare you think about the parameters of it or what it really is. So, uh, yeah, 10, uh, 10 feet from front to back, goal line to the front line where the players typically would stay contained within as you move around. So you, from a defensive posture, you have to keep the ball from crossing the goal line into your net. You're usually, after the other team has thrown it down the court underhand, you block it by getting in front of it or dropping on your side or your knee or some. get your body in front of it. And then you've got 10 seconds to shoot the ball back to get to your feet and uh, throw it back down the court where the other team then becomes defensive and stop it and uh, hopefully and return it like a, a tennis match volley, uh, volley back and forth. So everybody's wearing a blindfold because blindness comes in various stages, various levels. So create that level playing field, everybody is under blindfold. So it's totally blacked out from a visual perspective. So uh, you've got a player on each side. You call your wingers and your center position and uh, you cover just tape on the floor with string underneath it to mark, define the areas. So you can feel both under your feet or your shoes, kind of just the the catching of the the tape and string under your shoes. So you know where you are, you can put your hands down, feel it as well, but you don't want to be looking at the floor too much. That's going to inhibit your mobility, your side to side uh, range of motion a bit too. So You try to absorb as much information as possible through your shoes and the the texture. And again, communication, I'd spoke early on about what you learn through sport and that in the level of communication with your players, your teammates to know who has what responsibility of coverage. And you know, if you're going to pass the ball off, you stop it. You may have shot a couple in a row or you may not be the hardest thrower on the team. You may want to try to funnel the ball to someone who has a little different expertise in that area so you know the communication and making sure you get that person the ball without throwing it into your own net that uh, so it's it's a very fast flowing game very uh high intense and physical because the ball weighs about two pounds or so and uh so getting hit with this rubber rubber ball with bells in it and having to bounce back up and pass it or throw it and what have you it's this is repeated for a game with stop time can last about 45 minutes so you're repeatedly throwing yourself on the floor the gym floor essentially and bouncing up and down and up and the body takes uh, it takes a toll on the body over the years again i've been playing since i was about seven years old 58, so I'm uh, 50 years invested in an ally. Just most recently played in a tournament in, uh, at W. Ross McDonald School, our provincial championships back in April on my birthday. <laughs> so, you know, it's a game that can be played at uh, any age, pretty much. When I first started at uh, 17, at competing at the uh, 16 at the national level. There was a gentleman from Prince Edward Island who was playing at 65, Bill Bowers. So, uh, you know, again, it can be played as uh, competitively as you want and at any age. So it's great from that perspective. Uh, The thing about goalball is, again, it's the sport that you can challenge yourself in. It is for the blind. Ontario Blind Sports Association does from time to time get kind of painted by with a brush of that's all we focus on or maybe it's a little too much in goalball. Um, As a goalball player, I would maybe beg to differ, but I I do get it. Now, we've, we've tried, especially over the last 10, 15 years, to expand support to other sports as well
0: Kind of, we've
1: got our core sports, which tended to be wrestling, judo, uh, weightlifting, track and field, swimming. A lot of those sports are now under the umbrella of the able bodied sports organizations uh, Athletics Canada for track and field, uh, Swim Canada for swimming, and such. Also, really, the, the governing of that. Is taken out of our hands. We help athletes train, we help athletes prepare, find coaches, what have you, but it's largely the, the governance of it is no longer under our uh, preview. So, the uh, goal ball tends to be the only one there. Now, we've got a really good relationship with soccer the soccer folks, Ontario and Canada. So, right now, Five aside or blind soccer is a very much up and coming growth sport, and uh, luckily we have this great relationship and people in that of those organizations who want to work with us and are working with us. So, you know, we I think right now we're trying to give equally at least to both goalball and five aside, and then others where we can still uh, make it possible or be effective. So it's. Uh, you know, we're not, it's not out of the question. If anybody has a sport that they want to participate in, uh, they contact us. We'll find a way to help them integrate, help them experience it, help them learn it and get as competitive as they want with it. Again, that comes back to volunteers. Again, our network of volunteers, how important it is to have those. And we are so fortunate. Um, I, as president of the board, I've been president for her since 2012. So uh, my and I yes, it is. Um, I get to speak with a lot of volunteers. You know, members alike, athletes, uh, but volunteers, big part of it too. And the interesting thing, speaking with volunteers, whenever you know, I think you can speak to this as well. I'm sure, but. When we volunteer, we want to give. We want to be able to share our what we're good at, our expertise, if you will, and be able to help others. But it's good to get something back. And in so many cases, what I get back from volunteers is such a positive uh, report or positive message that they've learned what what blind sport represents or what it is, what it Provides, if you will. And I think one of the key messages that they learn, one of the key things, um, and I experienced this early on in blind sports where you'd be competing and you'd kind of hear the murmurs of, oh, isn't that special or isn't that great that he can do that or blah, blah, blah. Well, you learn that those people are only saying that because they don't know they they don't they haven't experienced life as a blind person whatever so you really can't fault them for having that mindset if you will but coming out and volunteering and seeing the level of competition the way people interact and uh, achieve things they realize that no they're, they're not special this blind person is not special in any way they're they're, it's an athlete, athlete first, they're competing at a high level. And uh, it's just as equal as any other competition, Olympics, Paralympics. You know, the, the focus gets lost sometimes in the title or in the, uh, the word itself. I think, you know, I, I was thinking earlier about this and uh, one of the comparisons I would draw is Special Olympics. And you know the Special Olympics organization does an amazing job of providing opportunities for athletes uh, with uh, intellectual disabilities but it's they're not special people they are athletes who are competing against others on their level playing field but they're competing at their highest level so, that the emphasis I guess the special is just on the organization that it's special these opportunities uh, can be provided but the people themselves aren't special and I think that's what our volunteers learn that you know it's wow this is just day-to-day life for these people these persons with visual disabilities and uh, they're they're just going about it and uh, it's it
0: is what it is. That's really the interesting thing, right? And I mean, it like that. That's really where things sort of lie. And I think, like, there's more. But you see, these days, you find more of that reaction. That oh, oh, how do you, how do they do this? How do you know? It's like, have you thought about just you know? just ask sometimes and watch and learn sometimes. Yeah.
1: And I think that's where the volunteer opportunity affords that. And I think people are, yes, I I agree that, uh, and that's, you know, sometimes your reaction, you try not to be too sharp about it or too abrupt, but um, you know, I think that's what it's giving people is the opportunity to ask and learn. And I would encourage people, if anybody is listening that, is either at a volunteer level considering something like that to take take a step, get out there and do it. I know often a challenge can be, or a fear, if you will, often fear stops us from doing things and a fear might be that they might say or do the wrong thing or what have you. Try to never let that be a barrier or get in your way because I know from an organizational perspective we try to make things pretty comfortable and provide the support to people to learn to become more comfortable and if you do say something a little incorrect along the way so be it we'll we'll help you learn the the correct or the more appropriate or what have you way but you know let so often we look in life we look for black and white or right and wrong or yes and no what have you and reality is there's very little in life. Yes, there are some things, but, you know, there's often there's, I, it's the 80-20 rule. I like to revert things back to 80% of the time, 20% of the time. And 80% of the time, yes, it's flexible. There's there's no hard and fast way. 20% of the time, yeah, you're going to have the yeses and noes and blacks and whites and what have you. But um, so don't let that fear of not knowing or that you might not be able to or do something incorrectly. Don't let that stop you. And as an athlete, a potential member, you know, if you're you want to try a sport or just become more social, more active, what have you, try not to let a fear of how would I do it or what if I don't do it right, you know. Contact us and let us help you through that growth process or that uh, opportunity. Again, comes back to. We're, we're trying to provide the opportunities, hopefully someone, people out there, and they are taking advantage of it. That's why we do have such an amazing crop of volunteers, many of them associated with the school, but also outside the school through, you know, we, we do outreach programs to colleges, universities, schools, and community groups like that too. And that's where some of our volunteers come from. But uh, you know, it's we're a volunteer-driven organization, member slash volunteer-driven organization, and uh, you know, like a, for example, a, a gold ball tournament, we would not be able to run an event like that. We had a W Ross with 65, 70 athletes back in April. The referees alone, most of them. Uh, a lot of them from the W. Ross McDonald School, but some from right across Canada. Again, another total volunteer position. They give up their weekends. I mean, most of our, all of our tournaments are on weekends. So they're working during the week and they, they'll they either use some of their vacation time because they got to travel on a Thursday or a Friday and uh, away from their families and that, but they're Sometimes back-to-back weekends, depending on where the tournaments are and what the schedule looks like. So, you know, we could never say enough thank you to that level of volunteerism and uh, commitment to that we just couldn't do it without them.
0: Yeah, it's a very excellent uh, opportunity, and um, that's certainly good. Now, we will take a quick commercial break and come back and wrap the show up with Glenn. So stick around, folks. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to All Over the Map. We will be back. I wonder if I could make it. It's almost getting to 8 o'clock p.m., and I am still a few more steps away. From home to get to my computer to listen to CNET Radio's Cosmopolitan Culture Club—the best of the best music from around the world. Can't wait! I think I made it. Sienna T Radio Making your day brighter One song at a time What a busy traffic On this Friday evening I am almost stuck In this traffic for the last 40 minutes And there is no way I think for me To get to the show The T Radio Song Bank. Which is going to start very shortly. It's one of my favorite shows. And my, my, what a way to wind down for the weekend. Perfect two hours of fun-filled music. And she has so many great features. Sound of music. Undercover. Foreign exchange. Name that tune. And the big wheel that she spins. For who's that or where are we? We cannot forget about the international stage. I have never come across such a great show in my life. I think I will have to press hard on my accelerator and go as fast as I can to get home in time. Wow! Wow! Look! I made it! I am almost there! Sienna T-Ring, making your day brighter, one song at a time.
1: Looking for sports content on the Bills, Blue Jays, Raptors, Argos, and more? Check out Sports for Beginners with me, Scott McGregor, where we will break down all of the action. To learn more, please follow the Sports for Beginners Facebook page.
0: on all over the map i am back i am ali musa back with glenn now glenn there are a few more things i would uh, that uh, we want to uh, touch on here how can people get involved in goal but let's say well, let's say somebody like me wants to get involved but is not interested in the competitive aspect how do i get involved
1: Right. So we uh, we we have local clubs that uh, operate at more of the recreational slash growth level, if you will. Um, because again, Ontario, we can't be in every city or town. But from I've mentioned before about being our drive or goal is to connect people where we don't have direct hands-on training or facilities. Or whatever. So if you're in a town or city that doesn't have a club per se we would try to help you put something together where you could get out to a gym and experience it with our support but right now we have active clubs in Brantford, kitchener london ottawa toronto um i think i've covered them all yeah Brantford, london kitchener ottawa toronto We have the framework right now in Kingston and Sudbury, but um, just as it stands, the athletes, the members, aren't uh, taking advantage right now, but I'm sure they're out there and we'll find them. We continue to try to recruit that way um, because we're so fortunate to have people ready, willing, and able to deliver the programs. But what that club-level experience looks like is here in Kitchener, for example, we... We run from September to April. Every Here locally, we do it every second Tuesday evening. Now, season to season, we that could change depending on the availability of the facility and the participants of what's going to work best for them. So just so happens that last year it was Tuesday nights, every second Tuesday at uh, Alpine Public School here in Kitchener, where we from seven to nine. And uh, we encourage people to come out, play at their level. What we do, we uh, so you need six for a game. We're fortunate enough to have volunteers that come out to help fill out those rosters as well. So people willing to put on their fully sighted uh, athletes, coaches, what have you, siblings of people who are blind. But they put on the blindfold and they help us build teams to play a game. And uh, we try to keep it safe for everybody. So someone who's looking to just play at an introductory or recreational level, then the game we put together is going to allow for that. Then uh, if there's people there that want to play at a higher competitive, higher pace level, then we recruit. We try to bring in people. You know, sometimes last year we brought students down from W. Ross McDonald School who were more experienced in goalball. And uh, they we ha- we were able to have some games again that allowed those locally who wanted a little bit higher level to play at that next step up. So we. Now, we how did those students get there? Uh, that was uh, through a travel a bus service that uh, again OBSA we were able to through our fundraising and uh, support efforts. Uh, so another part of the aspect of the. Uh, experience that we were able to fortunately uh, facilitate so it was a great experience for them you know and as much as you know they get to play at the school on a regular basis but you know there's there's a lot of sports going on there's a lot of uh uh what's the word i'm looking for uh I guess uh, require need for the facilities for other sports. So uh, demand, <laughs> it's such a simple word and I couldn't find it. Such a demand on the system, on the facilities that it just, this gave them another opportunity to actually play goal ball. And, you know, it's uh, they, they enjoyed it and uh, loved it as well. So it was a win-win situation from that perspective. And from an organization, OBSA perspective, because, We've always been so hand-in-hand with W. Ross, and they're really, they're our foundation. Uh, It's good to be able to run that in parallel with them and uh, offer that in tandem.
0: What's the cost to participate in these recreational sessions?
1: Recreational sessions, all it is to become a member of the Ontario Blind Sports Association. Our membership runs from September to August, so the season basically. It's a $20 membership fee. So, uh, you know, if someone was unable to come up with that for whatever reason, again, we'd certainly, through our efforts, we'd work with uh, someone to try to facilitate that. But, uh, you know, we never want, our goal is to, as little as possible, allow finances to stand in the way. Again, that goes back to the whole John Howe connection and what he's always stood for. That, uh, you know, that's that's the spirit, that's the legacy that I think we try to still continue that make it available as much as possible. But it's a $20 charge and that's really it. If uh, some equipment, if you wanted to, I mean, we can improvise with equipment too, where at a high level, You're required to wear a set of blacked-out goggles to compete. Those are about $70 to purchase. But having said that, at our recreational level, we're okay. We allow to play with just your sleep goggles that you would get from an airplane experience or things we can make so that, that no cost to the individuals. And then, you know, as they advance or choose to advance, then we figure out ways to get them the more um, equipment that uh, would be required as such. But so really the cost is we try to keep it as minimal as possible, and that really is the membership fee. And that's to make you a member so you're really covered under our insurances, and that should anything happen with an injury or what have you, that, you know, legally all the... Papers are, I's are uh, dotted and T's are crossed. So, but that's beyond that. You can come out and play and uh, experience it with no real other charges.
0: So, the Ball in, its in, in itself is a very intense, uh, you mentioned there before the break there that um, it's very uh, intense. Um, can any, because of the fact that it is so fast moving, can injuries happen? Like, can you hit? Can like simple, like not simple, but can you hit the thing? Can can the ball hit your finger? And then what happens there when you have a membership that protects you? What happens with that? What is that OBSA membership cover?
1: Uh, so yes, it's you know injuries as any sport. Yes, uh, the uh, potential is there. Now, you know, I played at pretty high level, national level for about 15 years, uh, international level four or five times, I guess, I was able to represent Canada. So, pretty high level there. And I was fortunate, slash, blessed enough not to sustain any real injuries. I did, I tore a uh, knee ligament, MCL, in my earlier days, 1987. Uh, where it put me out for about six weeks, two months, and probably cost me a chance to go to the 88 Olympics. But all good. Things happen for a reason. I was able to come back stronger in 92. But just an example that, so playing at that high level, I was fortunate. And through equipment, through training, through uh, knowing your body or yourself, you know, that you, you try to... Mitigate as much of that injury possibility as as you can. Um, equipment, you know, if you're wearing the proper knee pads, elbow pads, athletic cup, uh, you know, again, you can prevent a lot of those kind of uh, injuries where you're hitting the floor or the ball hitting you. And learning how, if you learn as a, at a gradual pace, so a slower level of the game, you can learn where the ball, where you need the ball to hit you to prevent those injuries and to keep the ball under control by following the markings on the floor. You learn to keep yourself out of harm's way as far as hitting other people or hitting the net, what have you. Again, knowing where you are, being aware of your surroundings and, uh, what, what you can or can't or should or shouldn't do. It's, it's a development process and, uh, you know, in the event that an injury does happen, well, we will certainly support you in finding the, the professionals to help you rehab through that uh, and, you know, get you back to playing as you were before.
0: Okay, so what about if somebody's not good with um... – a totally blind person is not um, is not good with that sort of thing of, you know, paying close attention to their surroundings and that are not able to sort of get a grasp of that. Now we're I'm talking we're we're talking here. I'm talking from the recreation level. What right. and, and what happens there? Like I mean, let's say somebody comes to your club. What what do you guys do? in in that regard do you assist them along like what do you guys do
1: yes and that i think speaks in tandem with the uh, again the what you learn in sport you can translate to other parts of your life and i think the person you're speaking with or speaking with speaking to that type of approach or personality is probably someone who might approach everything very cautiously or not quite sure so I think that you've just presented the perfect example of someone we could work with to help maybe a bit of a breakthrough. So we would work with them slowly from a coaching perspective, uh, describe the game to them, talk to them about their level of comfort as far as what they're willing to try to expand to or what have you then we would slowly introduce the game at a very low impact, a very slow pace, rolling the ball to them, allowing them to have the ball and throw it and just to feel the game as it can be, but yet not not put them in harm's way as far as throwing the ball full force at them so that it could injure them if they're not able to protect themselves. So really, that opportunity to allow them to learn something new to help develop those awareness skills of both being aware of their body, aware of their surroundings, aware of what, what movement is like. I, I often, I think the correct term, but I sure, I think it's physical literacy. They call it where as a blind person, like I, I don't know how to throw a baseball and I've had people try to show me I've never perfected that art, as it were. Now, I haven't committed a lot of times. I'm talking two minutes here or there, whatever, but so I've never, I can't say it's something I just can't do, but it hasn't been important enough to me, I guess. But from that perspective, I've never seen, I don't recall, I was fortunate to see a lot in life, but I don't recall seeing someone properly throw a baseball. So it's something I don't know. So if I wanted to do it, and I'm sure I could, Even if it was important enough to me, I would certainly be open to someone showing me step by step, break it down little bit by little bit. You take the ball in your hand, you bring it back over your shoulder around your body or however that action looks like and step through it, break it down inch by inch basically. And this is where, how your elbow would move. This is how the ball, your wrist flexes. And this is how it comes out of your hand. So it is that kind of literacy or learning that uh, we would help facilitate, and uh, you know, and you, uh, the individual then gets to choose on that. To what level do they continue to advance or challenge themselves or what have you? And uh, you know, I think they more often than not they'd be surprised at what they can learn, and again, what that's going to give them to approach other aspects of learning in their lives.
0: Now, Five-A-Side soccer is that running this year? In um, is the Kitchener one running this year?
1: We don't currently have uh, a session on the books. Now, that's not to say that by September we won't. Uh, right now, we're relying more on a Pickering club that has it running on a regular basis, and I believe we have one in Mississauga. It'd be the closest. But we try to have as many events as possible to allow people to go out and participate that way. And again, we're going to help with uh, trying to facilitate transportation to get to these events and maybe Brantford or Hamilton. We periodically will hold uh, events down at the core sports complex, soccer complex here in Kitchener and that in conjunction with Kitchener soccer and that. So. We're, we're at the stage still of trying to just provide opportunities versus an actual structured program, but the structured program is coming and it is developing, growing uh, as we speak.
0: Awesome stuff. Well, Glenn, uh, where can people, um, where can people uh, as we wrap up here, where can people find you online? Do you have an online presence if they want to contact you or they have any questions? Where can people find you?
1: Certainly, I'm very open to whatever level of discussion. Whether it's you know, serious. I, they, I've heard about this OBSA thing. I really want to become part of. Or if it's just you know what, I'd like to talk about how I can adapt things at home to getting out in the backyard and just throwing or kicking a ball or running. You know, guide running. What that looks like. That's another uh, component of uh, adapting sports that you know allows athletes to compete. at the highest level possible. So uh, you I can be reached by email at Glenn, that's Glenn with one M G-L-E-N W at Rogers.com. dot really, uh, simple there, Glenn W at Rogers.com. Uh, phone number, if anybody wanted to reach out either by text or uh, voice call would be 4536 that's 548-883-4536. From an OBSA organizational perspective, uh, you can find us online at blindsports.on.ca. And we're currently in the process of revamping our website. Just uh, as we speak, it'll be over the next couple of months kind of undergoing maintenance there too make sure that we have as up-to-date information on there as possible, and to make sure all of our links are as uh, functional with screen readers as possible. So that's a huge undertaking that we're uh, happily being able to go through right now. Uh, so it's blindsports.on.ca, or uh, two of our staff members can be reached. Uh, Rhonda Gohari is our our executive director and uh, Rhonda, her name is spelled R-A-N-D-A. So it would be Rhonda at BlindSports.com. And Richard Amillard is our program manager. And Richard, again, a uh, great one to speak with, is the kind of boots on the ground uh, perspective, getting involved in the, the programs that we have. So it would be Richard at BlindSports.com.
0: Awesome stuff. And uh, do you have a social media presence? Are you on Facebook or Twitter? Or
1: I am on Facebook. Uh, so Glenn Wade. Wade is W-A-D-E. Uh, Twitter, I... I guess the short answer, the real answer, is not. <laughs> I don't. I did sign up with a Twitter account years ago, primarily because of work. A lot of yeah. the work I was doing at Rogers at the time required or made it beneficial. But I find, from a time perspective, uh, th- these multiple layers of contact or what have you, <laughs> don't have time to. Haven't found time to keep up with it. You know we. I, the old uh, I can't or I don't or whatever it's it's as much as we want to you know so if i I guess if it was an important enough uh, endeavor for me, I'd find a way but uh, <laughs> right now I just find that it's uh, something I've let lapse to a large degree and so I'm not really gonna be found on Twitter <laughs> maybe one day
0: oh awesome stuff awesome stuff well if you start a podcast then uh, you'll have to be everywhere,
1: yes. Yeah. I'll have to spread my wings much further.
0: Yes. And you can find me at http colon slash slash alitechgroup.wordpress.com uh, Send me an email right from there. Uh, there's an, There's a contact page there. Or you can just uh, type in atompodcast819 at gmail.com Follow me on Twitter at atompodcast819 Follow me the all over the map, uh, Facebook page, uh, by searching all over the map podcast. And And Glenn, I'd really like to take this opportunity to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
1: I was just going to say that I would strongly encourage anybody, especially if they're, uh, tuning in for the first time or very early that, uh, they, I would encourage them to follow you there and do your various streams. But, uh, podcast you you are providing such a great uh, platform that you know in such a wide variety of guests and uh, them sharing their experiences and views and what have you that yeah just people can get a lot out of this so kudos to you thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share the platform with you this afternoon and uh, i look forward to watching your continued growth in this uh, space and uh you know, hopefully, we can
0: do this again sometime. Oh, you'll be back again. You'll be back again. And, um, awesome. yes, and, and, uh, uh all for the map will return on Thursday, June 29th, featuring Erin Trafford from Story Studio Network. Um, we had Dave on earlier. Uh, uh, Dave is actually her father, and we will be talking about the state of Broadcasting versus Podcasting. Uh, We will go all over the map with Aaron Trappard. Now, Glenn, we say the tagline together here, that it is not goodbye. It is until next time. time, Have a great week, everybody.
1: Take care, folks.
0: Thank you so much for listening to All Over the Map. If you have any questions or feedback, you can email me at atompodcast819 at gmail.com. That is A as in alpha, T as in the, O as in over, M as in map, podcast819 at gmail.com. You can also feel free to visit our website to learn more about upcoming episodes at https: colon slash podcast dash all over the map. Once again, that is https: colon ali tech group. Dot WordPress.com slash podcast dash all dash over dash the dash map And it is not goodbye it is until next time